This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. From movie set to multiplex, it's the business of film with James Cameron Wilson. I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. Wilson! Wilson! This is The Business of Film, and James Cameron Wilson is joining me, Simon Rose, to discuss what's been happening at the UK box office. Looking by your uh, your gloomy face, I'm assuming it's not been a bumper week. It has not been a bumper week, but then the previous weekend we did have a new blockbuster mm. in our ranks, a new Dwayne Johnson film that the distributors, and particularly the cinema chains, had been waiting for, and it did deliver. We're talking about Black Adam, which is number one again. Mm. It's now the eighth highest grossing film in the DC Comics Extended Universe catalogue already, and it's only been out 10 days. So we are down from the previous weekend by 14.2%. And, well, 31% from the same period last year. So it's not looking good. And yet there are five new titles in the top 10 which we shall talk about. I I would like to review three films that I actually saw in cinemas. So let's get cracking. So Black Adam at number one is down Mm. 38%, which is not bad. It's holding quite well. It's now got a total of £13.4 million. At number two, we've got Lyle Lyle Crocodile, which was at number three, which actually went up 4% for a total now of £9 million. This Half is term the, last week, of course, wasn't it? Well, yes, of course. This is the story of the singing crocodile in New York. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, yes. An everyday story of everyday uh, folk, yes. Uh, yes. Uh, number three, we've got The Banshees of Inner Sharon, but you and I both loved, which was yeah. at number two. Down... 23%. So it's holding really well. I'm That's really good. pleased that all I'm, and I have to eat my words because you talked about how full the cinema was. And I thought that when people discovered it was nothing like in Bruges, that um, uh, perhaps business would drop off alarmingly. But uh, down 23% doesn't seem that bad. No. So what's it made in total? It's now made in total £4.2 million, pounds, mm-hmm. which is really good for, which is basically a two hander, low budget film set in yes. a desolate part of Ireland. But it is very funny and it is very poignant and it's beautifully made by Martin McDonough, who, of course, did In Bruges mm. and uh, three, bo- three billboards outside Ebbing, yes. Missouri. Uh, we have a film called Pray for the Devil at number four, which is another horror film about demonic possession. Mm. And sadly, it's Ben Cross's last film. Good uh, gracious. Plays a cardinal. Uh, I know. Uh, he seems to have died quite some time ago. And yes, I really... Sounds- I mean, of course, it being Halloween, uh, the horror films were trotted out. Mm. And people do love a bit of demonic possession. Not me. I bypassed that. I thought there were other films I should see. At number five, we have an event, which is the Coldplay Music of the Spheres live broadcast from Buenos Aires, 
which is a concert movie, and that only played on one day, on Saturday, October the 29th, but it still made £742,000 plus. And just because you probably don't know, but Coldplay is a British rock band. I have heard of them. Not only that, but when I had a brief and ill-fated internet venture, we actually got permission to use a track of Coldplay when they'd only were still playing in pubs. We had a music supervisor who discovered them before anybody else did. So, okay. yes, I know. They're, they're really big. Quite well. They're really big. They yeah. are big. Okay. Depressing, but big, yes. <laughs> I like Coldplay. Anyway, at number six, we've got Smile, which was at four, down two places, down 35%, for a total of 10.3 million quid. I just found it so boring. And Mm -hmm. formulaic. Number seven, we've got a film called Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, which is celebrating its 20th anniversary. This is the second installment in the Rupert Grint Mm. franchise and others. Number eight, we've got a new film, which is also capitalizing on Halloween, called Barbarian, which I think the title may be put people off so many films are uninteresting because they follow a pres- prescribed formula but some are so good that you love them anyway i love musicals as you know but when something like cabaret comes along which isn't really a musical or something like lars von trier's dancer in the dark which breaks the form then mm. you have something really special and that applies to westerns science fiction and horror Horror has had a really bad rap. They're not a thrill ride for everyone, just as roller coaster rides aren't. But most horror films, because they are cheap and profitable, have developed a very low bar. Films like Smile and The Invitation, Mm. audiences lap them up and then go to McDonald's afterwards for more pre-packaged fare. And then something comes along that throws the rule book out of the window. Well, never forgetting why the audience is there in the first place. Barbarian marks the horror debut of Zach Kreger, who, like Jordan Peele, made his name as a comedian before deciding to scare people. Barbarian opens on a dark and stormy night, which, of course, is no coincidence. In fact, it's a tease because it's lulling the viewer into a false sense of security and then the characters start behaving like real people trish marshall georgina campbell has turned up at a bungalow on the outskirts of detroit an airbnb and finds that the house has been double booked by two rival renting agencies there's already a man inside who apparently she has just woken up from a deep slumber But he insists that she stay the night with him because there's a medical convention in town and all the hotels are full. Mm. And then he, Keith, played by Bill Skarsgård, starts behaving like the perfect gentleman. He's been given a bottle of red wine as a housewarming present and he won't open it until Trish is watching so that she can see he doesn't spike it. And he offers her the double bed in the only bedroom and even volunteers to wash the sheets as she has a thing about clean bed linen. At one point, goading her to stay the night in the same house, he says, do I look like some kind of monster? And this from the actor who played Pennywise the Clown in the It films. Mm. 
He doesn't seem to be a monster. And in spite of the rapport that builds between the two strangers as they wait for the washing machine in the basement to finish its spin cycle, Trish keeps her emotional distance. She is not stupid. So here we have a very pretty woman on a dark and stormy night trapped in a house with a stranger in Detroit. Mm. And nothing happens. Well, the bedroom door does creak open in the night. And Keith, who is sleeping on the sofa, is having a nightmare. But otherwise, this really doesn't feel like a horror film. Then the first of many jarring cuts propels us forward through time. And Trish wakes up in the daylight the following morning and realizes that she is late for her job interview. The very reason she has come to Detroit in the first place. And then she walks out of the front door in broad daylight and boom, we have the first shock. One of many. And being me, that's all I am going to say. So Zach Kreger knows which buttons he is pushing. And by serving up relatable characters and by reining in the music and all the usual paraphernalia, Mm that comes with the genre, he actually sets the audience far more on edge than they are used to. I wish I could say the film was perfect. The ending is, I felt, implausible. But it's a terrific ride for most of its running time. And I was really on edge and amused at the same time. I mean, it's a mini classic of its genre. Mm, okay, James. Well, right. Well, before we go to a break, you want to get further down the chart, I think? Yeah. At number nine, we have uh, the critically reviled Halloween Ends, which was at number five, down a mighty 53% for a total mm. of 4.4 million. Very disappointing for the last Halloween, the 13th unlucky Halloween on Halloween weekend. We have at number 10, Triangle of Sadness, which I thought was brilliant. With a, uh, with a screen average, actually, of 2,472, which is really good. Yeah. Uh, so I'm very pleased. That is the new film from Ruben Erstlund, Sweden's one of Sweden's It's not short, directors. is it? I did look at the possibility of going, but it's not a short film. It's two and a half hours, yeah. and I watched yeah. it again last night. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I loved it. Except... There's one, I have to say this, there's one character in a wheelchair who's got a paralysed arm. And when we first see her, it's her right arm that's paralysed. And at the end oh. of the film, it suddenly becomes her left arm. Now, I'm wondering if oh, Ruben yeah, well, Erslund... Might have, yeah, yeah, it's probably, that's probably intentional. Surely nobody gets that sort of thing wrong. Well, yeah. Uh, you would think with somebody <laughs> actually on set the entire time checking these sorts of things. Well, I was you think surprised. the actor would notice... Well, I, I know. I hadn't noticed it the first time. And in fact, it was the person I was seeing it with uh, who was so sort of caught up with the fact that I loved it so much, wanted to see it with me. And he, it was he who noticed. So I have to give him the credit. Um, I would like to talk before the break about a film called Bros, which only had a screen average of 447, which compared to 2,472 is very... It's been advertised all over the place. You could travel on London Underground, masses of posters. Yeah, this is billed as the first major studio rom-com with a fully LGBTQ cast. Even the composer, the frequently Oscar-nominated Mark Shaman, is openly gay. 
There have been other mainstream gay rom-coms. Happiest Season with Kristen Stewart and Mackenzie Davis jumps to mind. But rumour has it that Mackenzie Davis is straight. However, in spite of a modest budget of $22 million, Bros has proved to be a box office disaster, not helped by its star and co-writer, Billy Eichner, declaring on Twitter, see my movie or you're a homophobe prompting an inevitable backlash. The fact remains that Bros is very niche. A lot of gay men, I think, won't get a lot of its jokes. You'd have to be a New York gay man and probably a, new, a young New York gay man to get much of its humour. So this is where I come out of the closet and confess on the radio that I am straight, but I really enjoyed Bros because it's witty and underneath its veneer of cynicism, it's actually very compassionate. And being a rom-com, it is, yes, it's formulaic, but that's okay for a genre movie designed to entertain a mainstream audience. There was a lot of laughter at the screening I attended, but I did notice that as the lights went up, two women who walked out were holding hands, and then the two men who walked out, were also holding hands. There were other people in the cinema. Mm. But I laughed too, and I was on my own. The man behind bros is Billy Eichner, who was the voice of Timon in the remake of The Lion King. He co-wrote the script with Nicholas Stoller and plays Bobby, an angry, articulate, cynical, intense, neurotic, smart, and emotionally unavailable podcast host. He's also on the board of a committee mounting New York's first LGBTQ museum, although his insistence that they have a display to Abraham Lincoln doesn't go down too well, as although Bobby believes Lincoln was the first gay president of the US, there's not really any evidence to su support the fact. Then Bobby meets Aaron Luke McFarlane, a probate lawyer who is really hot, but also really boring, or so he's told. Aaron, too, prides himself on being emotionally unavailable. And so they start doing a reverse when Harry met Sally. The cultural re references come thick and fast with allusions to everybody from Jodie Foster to Barbara Streisand, obviously, and You've Got Mail and Will and Grace, along with the now mandatory plug for the hotness that is Benedict Cumberbatch. But he's also cool, because he's English. Uh, it was really nice to hear laughter in the cinema audience for once. And I don't necessarily count Stroud as a gay cousin of Manhattan. But what do I know? When I approached the kiosk in the foyer, I cheekily asked for a ticket to the new Billy Eichner movie. And I was given one. I then ruined the moment by saying, you know who Billy Eichner is? Well, duh, obviously. I think any cinema goer, be they gay or straight, will enjoy Bros because it's genuinely funny and, above all, very witty. Okay, James, thank you. That's uh, probably the moment for us to take a uh, quick break, but we'll be back with more of the business of film in just a moment. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, 
with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This is the business of film. I'm Simon Rose. James Cameron Wilson, though, is the one taking us through the box of a shot, and that uh, we just discussed, um, Bros, which is Bros, Bros, uh, Rose, 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 which is um, uh, number eleven in the chart. Now, sadly, I-, I did see this in a London cinema. It's a film called Hilma, and I have to make a proviso for my following review. This was, well, I won't tell you where it was, but I am a huge fan of art. And I found that so many film biogs of artists have tended to focus on the bullet points of the life of the painter rather than on the man. I hadn't heard of Hilma Af Klint. And as with the tragedy of so many artists from Van Gogh to Georges Seurat, they are not truly appreciated in their own lifetime. That was certainly the case with Hilma, who was given her due in this hugely personal portrait by one of Sweden's premier filmmakers, Lasse Hallström. Who, he who made Chocolat, The Cider House mm. Rules, Salmon Fishing in the Yemen, among many, many others. Now, I haven't always seen eye to eye with Halstrom. He can be a bit chocolate boxy, but here he has let his artistic hair down and created something quite extraordinary. Having said that, the film is unlikely to find a huge audience, although it should have many admirers. Halstrom has cast both his wife, Lena Olin, and their daughter, Tora Halstrom, as the older and younger incarnations of Hilmer. And he's created a work that not only celebrates the brilliance and tenacity of a lone voice struggling out of a world of convention and misogyny, but has managed to recreate her own style cinematically, at times even resorting to abstract imagery, like the Stargate sequence from 2001. Being set in the latter part of the 19th century, Halstrom has taken stock footage at the time and he's done a Peter Jackson, bringing it to life in an almost impressionistic way rather than recreating the Stockholm of 1880 Mm. with CGI. He's also aided by a sensitive performance from his own daughter, Tora, as a woman committed to her own ideals, painting what she feels rather than what she sees. Her idol is the Austrian philosopher Rudolf Steiner, who said that colour is the soul of nature and the universe, and through colour we receive messages from the soul. That might be a bit heavy and far heavier than this beautiful, courageous film, but it illustrates how Hilmer attempted to catch the force of the spirit world around her to convey something altogether more meaningful on her canvases. The early part of the film sees her playing hide-and-seek with her little sister, Hermina, with whom she's very, very close. So when she loses her to influenza, she attempts to connect with her in a series of seances, a very popular activity at the time. And so from saying that she only paints what she sees while studying at the Royal Academy of Fine Art in Stockholm, she goes on to express herself in paint that is an extension of her spiritual essence. And another narrative string to the film's bow is its representation of women at the time, such as the moment when Hilmer's professor holds up a dramatic landscape in the tradition of John Martin and Albert Bierstadt, and with much flourish says, you can't even tell it was painted by a woman. But still, women are expected to enter the academy by the back door, along with the tradespeople. Needless to say, the film looks exquisite. It has a poignant 
transformative score from John Ekstrand, at times recalling the delicate minimal chords of Arvo Pert's Spiegel im Spiegel. All in all, then, this daring, strangely moving, sometimes batty and remarkable biography of a misunderstood genius and an, an abstract painter who predated Mondrian and Kandinsky, I think is Lasse Hallström's finest film and deserves at least four stars. It's available at selected cinemas around the country and it will be the first film on a new streaming giant that kicks off in January called Viaplay. Uh, yeah, so I, I really recommend this film, particularly if you're interested in art. I got a press release about Viaplay. I didn't know anything about it. I shall have pay more attention to that. So, James, we might have time just for um, one more um, thing. What? Uh, okay, what I we... will launch into The Good Nurse. When I prepare for a film, I like to do a bit of background research, not on the film itself, but on the subject, so that mm. I'm in the mood. So that when I walk into a cinema, there is no film that I would rather see than the one that I am about to experience. It's not always in the case of easy, in the case of some cartoons and horror films, but certainly regarding a serious work. I knew that The Good Nurse was about Charles Cullen, possibly the most prolific serial killer in US history, which is saying something. He confessed to killing at least 40 people, although some experts have put the figure as far as high as 400. Anyway, I read up on serial killers in Colin Wilson and Patricia Pittman's excellent Encyclopedia of Murder. And what struck me was the statement, the names of most murderers fall in the first half of the alphabet. What? Okay, so there's Ted Bundy, John Christie, Jeffrey Dahmer, Albert DeSalvo, the Boston Strangler, Ed Gein, Jack the Ripper, Henry Lee Lucas, and Charles Cullen himself. There's also Harold Shipman, but with his surname beginning with an S for Sierra, he is in the minority. So according to Colin Wilson, I am more likely to be a serial killer than Simon Rose, statistically speaking. The they other give a reason for that. No, he said it's just one of those weird coincidences. Okay. The other statistic that got me was that there are 60 murders com committed every hour somewhere in the world. But don't confuse a murderer with a serial killer. By the very nature of their name, serial killers are smarter than mere murderers because they don't get caught. And Charles Cullen was very smart. And it was very smart of the Danish director Tobias Lindholm to cast Eddie Redmayne as Cullen because most serial killers don't look like Javier Bardem or Gary Oldman, actually. <laughs> they look absolutely normal. And Eddie Redmayne, with his short hair, spectacles and meek manner, looks absolutely normal, using false empathy as his weapon to achieve his aims. And nowhere do we see the evil running through his veins, except in one short scene near the beginning of the film, where he has been tenderly washing the naked corpse of a recently deceased woman. And when nobody's looking, he stares into her, her empty face, just inches above her body. But Eddie Redmayne is not the good nurse. She is Amy, played by Jessica Chastain, a single mother of two without medical insurance, struggling to make ends meet and keeping a potentially lethal heart condition to herself. Being Jessica Chastain, one of the 
finest actresses alive. She really brings Amy and her internal demons alive. So that when Charles Cullen is gifted to her on the night shift, you can feel her relief. He is also wonderful with her two daughters, aged five and nine. But we know what she doesn't. And so the good nurse subtly exerts its dramatic muscle without making one false move. This ain't the silence of the lambs. This is an intelligent, believable, psychological drama that pulls away from the sensationalism of its subject and allows its two talented actors to do what they do best. In fact, I think it's probably the best thing Eddie Redmayne has ever done. Wow. Okay. And where's this to, to be On seen? Netflix now. Okay. So it's been a really good week for me. Yeah, that is very welcome, James, after many weeks in which you've almost been in despair at times. So I'm glad to hear it. That is James Cameron Wilson. That's the end of the business of film for this week. But James, well, I'm glad to say be back next week. You talking to me? Bond. James Bond.